we get ready to uh, to take communion, I just want to remind everybody here that um, what communion is is it's remembering the Lord's death until He comes. And so um, we'll have a song that plays, and I'll just ask everybody that wants to take communion to uh, line up over here um, and receive your elements. I would ask that you hold your elements until we all have them, and then we can partake together. But as you're holding the bread, remember that it's the body of Christ broken for you. And as you're holding the juice, remember that it's the blood of Christ shed for you. And um, communion is not something to enter into lightly. So I would ask that you, uh, while you're going through the line or while you're sitting and, and listening to the song that plays, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to search your hearts, your minds, um, and that you would remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid for, for our sins. Heavenly Father, God, as we get ready to partake of communion, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would search our minds and our hearts. God, that for the next few minutes, God, just a holy reverence would settle upon this place, Father, that we would remember the sacrifice that was paid for our sins, Jesus, that we would look at these elements as not just being uh, bread and juice, but God, as being your body and your blood that was given for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Father, I pray that as we partake, God, that we would once again remember your death until you come. Reading from 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23. Word of God says, For I received from the Lord that what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may eat the bread. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You may drink of the cup. Lord Jesus, as we remember your sacrifice, your death, God, help us to also remember your resurrection, your ascension, and that you are seated at the right hand of the Father in power and in glory. So, Father, as we go to your word, as we open your word, I ask that you would open our ears, our hearts, our minds to understand what your word means for us today. Holy Spirit, we give you freedom to move in this place as you see fit. And Father, I pray that as your word goes forth, that God, we would be encouraged and edified, that we would see you for who you are. God, that as we remember your steadfast love, God, that as we consider what you have done for us, God, as we look to everything that you have done and everything that you are doing and everything that you will do, God, that we would have no choice but to respond to you in praise this morning. Father, I pray that you would just help us to set aside the things of this past week, God, maybe this past month, whatever it may be, and that, God, for the next few minutes that we could focus on you, on who you truly are, not who we think you are, God, but who you have revealed yourself to be through your word. Have your way in this service. May everything that is said glorify and honor you. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me, please, to 
Psalm chapter 118. Psalm 118. We're going to be spending uh, most of our time here. We're going to kind of be anchored in this passage, and and we'll we'll bounce around a couple different places. Um, but this will be where we spend a majority of our time. So Psalm 118. And we just finished up our, our series on sin. Uh, how many people honestly enjoyed that series and, and want to have that series again? That hurts. That hurts deep. I know that was a hard series, but I also know that when we allow the Word of God to, to confront our sin, that it helps to grow us and it helps lead us into maturity and it helps sanctify us. So today, you cannot relax by any means, but we're going to talk about the Lord's steadfast love. And I, I think it's coming out at a time that we desperately need it. And um, I just pray that you would see the, the love of the Lord through the scriptures that we're going to look at. Psalm 118 Beginning in verse 1, the Word of God says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And this truth encompasses a psalm. This is the, the truth that's stated at the beginning. It's also the truth that will come to at the end in verse 29. And, and all that is follows and all that's in between is meant to help us understand the steadfast love of the Lord. And I don't know about you, church, but I... And I'm, I'm just being vulnerable, and sometimes that, that can be good, and sometimes that can hurt. But the last uh, little while has, has been some really hard weeks to go through. It's, it's, the wind has been taken out of my sails more than once, um, probably more so than it ever has been. And, and so I've had no choice but to run to the Lord, to look for His strength, to look for, for His love. And overwhelmingly, He has assured me that I'm not alone, you're not alone, we're not alone, that... He is with us and that his love still stands. And so if, if you're in the same boat as I am, if, if it's just been a, a hard few weeks, and I know um, just with talking to some of you that the sickness and the, and the things that have gone on, it's been a hard time to get through. But today we're going to remember that God is not a God of love and he does not have steadfast love if everything is going okay. He has steadfast love because it's part of who he is. And so no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, God has steadfast love for you. And so we're going to break this down. We're just going to walk through this chapter verse by verse. Um, but just allow the Lord to, to really minister to your hearts and your spirits today. Psalm 118, continuing on, verses uh, 2 through 4, we read the following. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. And church, when we fear the Lord, we, we then come to the point in our lives that we understand who the Lord is and, and we, we, we know his power and might. We come to a proper place of reverence for him. And so uh, the Lord's enemies should absolutely fear him, his wrath, his indignation, uh, his judgment that will come upon the earth. But we who are, are part of the body of Christ, we don't fear the Lord in that way. We fear him in a different way. We we have a sense of awe and of reverence. We remember who he is. We remember what he's done, what he's capable of doing. And so it's, it's with that understanding that we, we begin to come and see that his steadfast love endures forever. We, we have the deepest respect for him and the utmost admiration for his, his beauty and his power. And I believe that there's a big portion of this that is missing uh, from the church at large today. The church no longer remembers who God is. They no longer worship him for who he is. But 
That, that doesn't change who God is. Whether we worship Him the right way or not has no bearing on who God really is. He is a God to be feared, and He is a God to, to revere and to have respect for. And um, the, the Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms defines the fear of the Lord in this way. It's, it's recognition of God's person as one who is righteous and thus the awe and reverence which evokes the desire not to offend God. And so that's how we have fear of God. It's an understanding of who he is and an understanding of the fact that he's not somebody to trifle with. He's not somebody to play games with. He's somebody to, to worship and to adore and to admire. Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so this this awe and this reverence is something that, as children of God, we need to culminate in our lives through the, the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit by saturating ourselves in, in the Word of God. Uh, we talked um, a little bit last week about the renewal of our minds, and, and the Word of God can renew our minds to, to not only get out this worldly idea of who God is, but to put in place of that a biblical idea of who God is. And when that happens, our lives will reflect a biblical lifestyle that glorifies and honors God. In Psalm 118.5, it says, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. And, and this is the place that I've, I've been recently. I've been distressed. I've, I've been knocked down. And it's a place that I've been before. I, this Christian life, anybody that has ever told you, once you become a Christian, everything is good and fine and dandy, you never have to worry, is a liar. Because you do. You have a fight. You're going to fight uh, the enemy. You're going to fight your flesh. You're going to fight the world. You're going to fight all these things. But it helps me to know that the psalmist says, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. And so God is not somebody that when you get distre distressed, when you get knocked down, when you enter into despair, that he walks away and says, until you pick yourself up, I'm not going to help you. That's not who God is. God looks at you in your distress and he says, I am going to answer you and I am going to set you free. And Paul, Paul says it slightly different in 2 Corinthians 1, 8-10. He says the following, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. It sounds kind of hard. It's hard for me to understand in the ways that, that Paul could get to the point where he despaired of life itself because Paul's like that rock. He's the guy that never gives up. He's the guy that walks through everything and just makes it. But he says that they despaired of life itself. Verse 9, he says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And so Paul clearly says he, he has delivered us, but he will deliver us. Why? Because God is a deliverer. And you cannot deliver people that don't need to be delivered. And, and it's just like God to, 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 to always come through. And he's the one that when, when all hope looks lost and all escapes seem to be cut off, that he's the one that makes a way. Am I preaching to myself or are you with me? Do you understand that God is the one that makes a way? How many times have you seen or been to a point in your life where, where every door is closed, where you are locked in a chamber, there is no way out, there is no sunshine, you feel like you are in the pit of hell itself, and yet God comes breaking through time and time again. And, and, and there's another portion of Scripture where, where Paul talks about this he, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7-10. He says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. 
And church, even though we might walk through the very pits of hell itself, David said, if I make my bed in the pits of hell, you are there with me. There is nowhere he can go to escape God's presence. And so know that there is nowhere that you can go that God's presence doesn't follow. He is El Elyon, the God Most High. This is the God that we worship. We don't come to, to church and just worship a, a figment of our imagination. We worship a God that has set the earth in motion, a God that sustains all things by his hands, a God that if he were to but speak the words, everything would just vanish. That's the God that we worship. And so this, this understanding of who God is is so paramount. So many of, of the, the great men of, of faith that walked before have said that the, the most important thing you can have in this life is a proper view of who God is. Because if you have that proper view, everything else falls into place. If you don't have that proper view, nothing falls into place. In Psalm 118, 6 or 7, the psalmist continues on. He says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. And, and church, this right here is the very covenant of grace that God established with the redeemed. The understanding that he is on the side of the redeemed. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The, the thing to know that you don't have to fear not, not man, not, not the enemy, not, not the host of hell. You don't have to fear anyone or anything because God is in control. Amen? In, in, in Pentecostal circles, we sometimes shy away from the sovereignty of God because that's more Reformed theology. That's not Reformed theology. That is biblical theology. The sovereignty of God is absolutely biblical. And so we know that, that he will not permit his righteous to be moved and that victory does not come from, from how many forces we have or, or how many numbers of people we have on our side or, or anything like that. Victory comes from God. We, we might stand alone at times in this life and, and even though you stand alone, it does not mean that you are defeated. Church, many of, of, of the great people that are listed in the, in the hall of faith had to stand alone. And yet they were not defeated. And so the Lord brings victory. And a lot of times he brings victory in spite of the numbers you have. Look what he did with Gideon. Gideon said, I'm going to take all his men. The Lord said, no, you're not. He said, cut them down. And he did. And God brought the victory. So victory is won by God. It's given by God. And it's sustained by God. And church, that, that truth is worth praising the Lord for. To know that, that you don't have to win your victory. That God has already won your victory. And anybody here that is redeemed, that is born again, that is underneath the blood of the Lamb, does not fight from a place of defeat. You fight from a place of victory. Now, you might fight for your victory, but you fight from a place of victory. And you fight with the Spirit of the living God inside of you that knows what victory is about. That will have victory. Psalm 118, 8-9, Scriptures continue, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And these two, do, two scriptures correspond to the two that we just read. The, the victory is ours not because we trust in mankind, not because we, we are associated with the right people or we have um, men and women of influence on our side. It, it's, it's not that. It's better to take refuge in the only one that can bring victory, which is the Lord. That's who ultimately brings your victory. And we have relationships with, with each other and we, we trust each other and we pour into each other and we love each other, but our ultimate trust is never to be placed in men. It's to be placed in the Lord. And, and those who walk with you one day, they may not walk with you the next. And those who shout your praises uh, might be the very ones that shout your ruin. And, and no matter how many times we've, we've done this, we have all 
both been betrayed and been the betrayers. As much as we would hate to admit it. So when, when, we, when we look at this, we need to understand that human relationships are fickle. Even the best human relationships are fickle. We have to know that. But the relationship that the Lord has with you is not fickle. It stands the test of time. And so if you're walking through a time where, where it, it just seems like, like you're, you're having to stand alone, and there's nobody standing with you, take heart because it's the, the Lord that we ultimately place our trust in whom we ultimately take refuge. He will not fail you and he will not let you down. And so many Psalms talk about the safety that is found in the Lord. And it does not mean that we will never hurt, that we'll never be betrayed, that we'll never walk alone in a humanly sense. But it does mean that our ultimate safety is the Lord's. And that whatever we suffer because we are the Lord's will not be wasted in this life. And it will bear fruit for the life to come. There, there are times of suffering that the scriptures promise it that, that are going to come for those who choose to follow the Lord and to preach his gospel. And they might come officially in a church setting as, as pastors or unofficially as witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those outside the church. But suffering will come one way or another. Paul writes the, the following to Timothy, his, his son in the faith, to encourage him in the light of what he would face from the hands of men. In 2 Timothy 1, 8-14, Paul writes the following. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So when you know in whom you have believed, that's when you can suffer for his sake. And you don't count it as God not loving you. You don't count it as his steadfast love failing. You don't count it as any other thing within a world that does not recognize the Lord as Lord, pushing back against those that say he is Lord. There's going to be a conflict there. But we don't have to be dismayed and we don't have to despair. We can walk knowing that, that the Lord himself undergirds everything that we go through. In Psalm 118, 10 through 13, we read the following. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. And in this psalm, the psalm was very literally could have been surrounded by all the enemy nations. And, and you and I, more likely, are not going to have all the nations of the world come and surround us at our front door waiting to attack us. But you might feel like all the nations are against you in a very spiritual sense. And in the, the, the beautiful thing about this is that even though the battle is the Lord's and the, and the psalmist has been clear to, to describe that, the psalmist is in no way exempt from fighting. And it's one of those paradoxes that we have to reconcile that Scripture presents. 
The psalmist is not lazy or apathetic when it comes to fighting. He doesn't say, oh God, I'm in this battle. I'm just going to sit down and relax. When you get it handled, let me know and I'll get up and do something. He knows that he still has work to do. He has to fight in the strength that the Lord has given him, but he knows that the ultimate victory is still the Lord's. And in, in other words, he, he, he has to fight. We should not be ashamed to exercise our human effort when fighting for the Lord, but we have to understand that it's still his victory. Whatever uh, energy or, or uh, effort that you have or that you can muster up, it comes from the Lord anyways. Everything that you have comes from the Lord. So instead of, of sitting at home and in your, your own pity party, worship and, and do so communally if you can. Instead of talking about how you, you don't sense the presence of the Lord and he's not answering your prayers and, and, and so you just turn on Netflix for six hours, turn it off, get in the word of God, start to pray. There's so much that can be done to fight that, that don't require us having to just sit down and do nothing. Fight the battles the best way that you know how. Instead of secluding yourself and placing yourself unprotected underneath the voice of the enemy, get to the body of faith you belong to and share your burdens with other people. We may not have the strength totally in and of ourselves to win the battle, but we are no, by no means helpless and paralyzed. There's things that we can do. The psalmist feels surrounded by his enemies, re relating them, them to bees, and I don't know about you, but I... Uh, I've had a couple encounters with, with some bees, some hornets. Uh, when my brother and I were little, we, we ducked out of church one, one night thinking that we wouldn't get, or get caught out. So we snuck out the side door and we were, we were goofing around. And where we lived, we lived right next to the church, like 15 feet away, uh, which was both a blessing and, and sometimes not a blessing because you couldn't escape. But we snuck out. Um, I think it was a Sunday night and, and church was rocking and rolling and we just... Don't know what we were thinking. Small church, like 40 people, you're missed. And uh, we were goofing off, and um, we were over at the neighbors, and they had this old shed that we always liked to go look in the windows, see if we could find anything. And um, we saw a bee that flew into the wall. And uh, I don't know what I was thinking, but I went over and I started hitting that wall around that hole. And one bee turned into a lot of bees. And the beautiful thing about it is my brother got stung and I didn't. So there is that. But I also had to be the one that ran into the church in the middle of the church that we were supposed to be in to tell my parents that they had to stop church to come out to help my brother who was being stung repeatedly. So you never get away. But these, these swarms of bees, you know, we, we joke about it. And we, we see cartoons where everybody runs and jumps in water, but bee stings hurt. I don't know anybody that's willingly going to stand uh, and, and be stung by bees. I worked at a bee factory for a while when I was in high school, and one of the most painful things I ever saw was a buddy of mine get stung right in the eyelid. And it, what it did to his eye was ridiculous. So bee stings hurt. You don't want to be surrounded by them. And that's what he relates the enemy to. Is it's, just, it's not this overwhelming, just huge beast that comes and stands before him. It's, it's all these little bees, these, these little stings. And you've heard the saying, uh, death by a thousand cuts. It's not always one fatal blow. A lot of times it's just one thing after another that stacks up. And before you know it, you feel like you're defeated. And this is how that psalmist felt. He, he relates to the, the enemy to thorns. And we know that, that shorns are, are sharp and, and prickly and, and can hurt. But he also says that, that they burn quickly because thorns burn quickly. So when the Lord steps in, all these enemies go away. 
And so remember that, that no matter how nasty your enemy looks, that your enemy is nothing compared to your God. And church, that, that's, a, that's something that we have to get figured out because we can focus so much on the enemy that we make him bigger and better than he ever was meant to be. And by doing that, we take our eyes off of the Lord and we make the Lord smaller and not as mighty as he actually is. So keep your proper focus. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. And even though the, the enemy pushed the psalmist hard enough that he was falling, the Lord stepped in and helped him. Fight with everything you have, but look to the Lord for your ultimate victory. Psalm 118, going on, verse 14 says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The church is here where we see that the, the glad song of salvation that exists in the tents of the righteous, it is the Lord's right hand, the hand that holds weapons, that does valiantly, exalting those who fear the Lord and vanquishing the enemy. And for that, we can all give the Lord praise. Have you ever had a time in your life where the Lord stepped in and took care of your enemy? Anybody? You can, you can raise your hands. We can do that in church. There's been times where, and again, I'm, I'm being vulnerable, so if this comes back to, you can't use anything I say in my sermons against me. How's that? But when I was first saved, I, I, man, I floated on cloud nine for about a year. Uh, nothing could, could touch me no matter what I went through. It was just, it was all good until it wasn't. And I walked through a pretty dry season in my life, and I can tell you that I didn't feel like when I fell, the Lord picked me up. I felt like I fell and fell all the way down. But there were people, some of them didn't even know me. There were people that, that had the Lord put me on their heart and they began to pray. For some random guy they'd never even met. And then there were those that really, that knew me that, that began to pray. And so I want to encourage you that if somebody is on your heart and your mind, it is for a reason. And the Holy Spirit doesn't always come in and, and just shout and shake your house to get your attention. A lot of times it's just that, that fleeting thought, that gentle nudge. And so as you go throughout your week, and, and many of the times that, that this happens to me, it happens when, when I'm going through something and my focus is on myself, what I'm going through, and I'll, I'll get this gentle nudge that will say, well, now so-and-so is doing. Why don't you pray for them? Pray for that person. Because there's nothing that reminds you of who God is like having to pray for somebody as you remember who your God is. So pray. In Psalm 118, continuing on, he says in verse 17, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. I shall not die, but I shall live. We all know that for us, for believers, whether we live or die, we will live eternally with the Lord. But we live right now to recount the deeds of the Lord. Just as a question to ask yourself, and, and you don't need to raise your hands, but how many people this past week did you share the deeds that the Lord has done for you with them? And I would encourage you that if the answer is zero, that you begin to really consider 
thinking of the things that you could share with other people that God has done for you in your life. It, it, it lifts us up, it edifies us, it encourages us. There, there's, I remember growing up in church, we had to be so careful if you ask for a testimony because you may not get to be, you may not ever get through to the other part of the service because everybody stood up and one person would give a testimony over here and then somebody else and then somebody else. And a lot of times as people were giving testimonies, other people would think of them. And so you'd have two or three different people that would give multiple testimonies. And now you ask for a testimony in the church and it's like crickets. We're not as encouraged as we need to be because we're not as encouraging as we should be. Share what the Lord has done. He goes on and he says, The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. The psalmist understands that the Lord's will for him is life and not death, and this can be taken in more than one way like we talked about. But the psalmist also understands that the battles we go through, they're not just for fun. They're not just to, to give us one more thing we've got to walk through. They're not just to let us get up one more day and just be, be totally and absolutely uh, immersed in warfare. These battles, as, as what, what the enemy means them for is one thing. But what God uses them for is a totally different thing. And, and so these battles will eventually shape us into Christ-like Christians. Discipline hurts. It always does. But it's necessary for growth. In Hebrews 12, verses 3 through 11, we read the following. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the love, sorry, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I can't remember who said it, but they said that it took them a long time to learn as they were going through different things, and it just seemed like the Lord was bringing one thing to them after another, and they just never could get out of, out of just endless battles. That it wasn't until they, they, they used to say, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening again? Why am I stuck in this? And, and that, that was their perspective of how they viewed everything that came their way. But during prayer one time, the Lord just gently shifted their perspective, and they began to pray, Lord, what, what can I learn through this? What are you trying to teach me through this? And once that happened, it didn't change the circumstances. It didn't absolve them from going through problems, but it allowed them to understand that what they're going through can be for their benefit as bad as it hurts. And I think that's something that we all need to keep in mind. Psalm 118, 19-24, read the following. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. 
This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And the gates of righteousness are, are the gates that lead to the sanctuary, that leads to the presence of the Lord. And that's where the psalmist will offer his thanks and his praise. And those who have been counted as righteous and who enter through those gates, those are the, those who know why the Lord needs to be praised the way he does. When you've tasted of the salvation that Christ has, has bought, when you've tasted of, of the glory of the Lord, how can we not lift our hands and worship him? How can we not? Uh, I have the, the worst singing voice ever. I'm not allowed to sing in my car. I'm not allowed to sing in my shower. I can't sing anywhere. But whether I have the most beautiful voice or not, my heart needs my mouth to open and for words of praise to come out. Because God deserves that. Let us never forget that when we step into this sanctuary, this house of God, that we're not here for us. We're not here for each other. We are here for him and him alone. And that's who we praise. In verse 22, you might recognize this as being quoted by Jesus, but he is the stone that the builders rejected as worthless, and yet he became the chief cornerstone, the most foundational, important stone upon which everything was built. And it's to the glory of the Lord that this, this happened. And, and it, in a very small sense, there might be times where we, we feel like we're rejected, but we're, we're not. We might be rejected by men, but God will build something out of our lives that will bring glory and honor to him. And so whatever rejection you face by men, you count that as rejection given by men and not rejection given by God. Because it was very oftentimes true, especially in the Old Testament, that those who were rejected are the ones that God used to do great things for him. Rejection hurts, it always does. But know too that your Lord was rejected before you were. He knows what it feels like. He knows how to walk you through that. Psalmist then goes on to talk about uh, this being a day that the Lord has made and that we need to rejoice and be glad in it. And I can tell you that because of God's victory, which is ultimate, that any day of despair can be turned into a day of rejoicing. We shouldn't have to, to work up reasons why we can worship God or celebrate him. We should already have them. Psalm 118, 25-27 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from, how, from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Verse 26 is, is the, the cry that was lifted up by the crowds when, when Jesus entered on Palm Sunday. It, it's, it's a beautiful blessing, but in a way that they can never understand, it was, it was Jesus that was about to, to become the sacrifice to defeat sin and death on the cross. The sacrifice that they're talking about was lifted up in, in public worship, and so, church, let us never, ever, ever be afraid to worship God publicly. If you can't worship God publicly, it will be hard to worship Him privately. And if you can't worship Him privately, it will be hard to worship Him publicly. They go hand in hand. Psalm 118, continuing on, says, You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And we see here, again, the same words that we saw in verse 1. His steadfast love endures forever. 
And this is, this is the, the beautiful, beautiful cry of the psalmist. He says, you are my God. And sometimes we, we, we can get to the point where, where we don't treat God as if he's our God. We just treat him as, as God that maybe other people are closer to her than, than we are or not. But God is your God. It, it's an absolutely beautiful thing. I think it was Luther that said that God loves all of us as if there was only one of us. The Lord loves you, and so his love, it isn't less than because he loves other people. It's He has the same love for you that he's always had. It never runs out. It never runs dry. And so no matter what you're going through, church, and, and no matter what you've walked through, what you might be walking through, you might be in a season where, where it has been so long since you felt the presence of the Lord. I've been there. I've been there. I've, I've been to worship. I've lifted my hands. I've, I've done everything that I know how to do. I've been in the Word. I've, I've been through times in my life where just to get on my knees was a battle enough. And then to pray on top of that, was that was the battle. I've been there. I've been there where, where everybody else seems to be having these outrageous uh, occurrences with the Lord, and, and they're just talking about how they sense Him so close. And and there's been times where I have not been able to sense the presence of God, where I've had to take him at his word, to, to know that, that whether I feel like he's there or not, that he's there, that when I feel, and, and I, I'm saying feel, so hear me, when I feel in my flesh or in my emotions that, that God is not there, that there's a, a, a severance between him and I, that I trust that he is still the God he said he would be. And I hate walking through desert seasons. I hate it while I'm in it. But when I look back and I, and I see how faithful God was in those dry times of my life, it does a couple things for me. One is I don't ever take a wet season of, of my life for granted. And the other thing is that I realize that God is not defined by my emotions or my feelings. He is defined by who he says he is in his word. And so I encourage you today, if, if you're just as dry as you ever have been, to not make your emotions or your feelings your God. To not look at God through a lens like that, but instead to take this, what we have just read, this word of God that says that his steadfast love endures forever and to stand up and praise him like his steadfast love endures forever. Because church, there is coming a time where if we are not people of the word, we're not going to be who we're called to be. And that, you know, James talks about being hearers of the word, but not doers of the word, and how, how if anybody does that, they delude themselves. And so let us not be hearers of the word that hear about this psalmist that was going through things and that was in, in the, the throes of despair and that had, was surrounded by enemies and yet found a way to go to the house of God and to lift his hands and, and to praise God for who he was. Let us not hear that and then not do it. Let's instead hear what God is saying and that the psalmist is praising him for his steadfast love and, and be people that hear that, that recognize that, that know that, and then stand up and worship our God because he is worthy of our praise. Are you with me? Church, it, 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 it is such a, a sad thing when the house of God does not ring out with the praises of God's people. So we're going to play a song, and, and some of you might know it, some you may not. And I know it's hard to worship the songs you don't know. I, I, I know that. Believe me, if I could pick a song 
on these Sundays that everybody knew I'd do it. I don't know a song that everybody knows. But I know that the words to songs, whether you know them or not, are just as important as the song itself. So this song that's coming is called In This Praise. It's one of the most beautiful, powerful songs I've ever heard. It talks about how we can praise God now for who He is, that He's faithful. But it also talks about what's going to happen when we get to heaven, to, to look forward to that praise. As a church, I'm going to ask that if, if you would, that you allow the Holy Spirit to take the scriptures that we just read to move upon your hearts and your minds. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to do this every time because there's not a time that I know of that the word went forth when people were not called to respond to it. Everything that Jesus taught left people with a choice. You respond to it or you don't. Why would it change now? So you've heard the word go forth. Now is your chance to respond to God's word and to stand up and to praise him. If you need to come to the front and bow down and praise him, you're welcome to. If you need to just to sit in your seat and, and just immerse yourself in God's presence. You're welcome to. If you need to stand and, and raise your hands as high as you can get them, I don't even care if you stand on the seats. Whatever you need to do to get this understanding that God's steadfast love endures forever, you have the freedom to do. Amen? Heavenly Father, God, as we worship you, Father, God, I thank you and I praise you for who you are. God, that your steadfast love endures forever, Father, that God, no matter what we go through, no matter what we are going through, that God, you are there with us, that your love will prevail. So, Father, I pray that we would focus our eyes on you, that we remember who you are, that you are the God of salvation, that you made a way when there was no way, that you are the God that saves. And Jesus, may we worship you throughout this week in spirit and in truth as you deserve for who you are, for what you've done. Father, I pray a blessing upon your people that you would show us how to worship you in our everyday lives more and more. That God, those that do not know you would see the worship of our lives and see what's missing in theirs and come to know who Jesus Christ is because of our worship for you. God, empower your people, protect your people. Until we meet again, in Jesus' name, amen.